Hi, my name is Adela Kochab, and I'm a Syrian-Lebanese Jew born in Mexico City. And I'm Maryam Waba, and I am a Coptic Christian from Egypt. We are coming together to untangle love, culture, religion, faith, and everything in between. This is Americanish, Daughters of Diaspora. All right, Adela, let's dive right in. Um, so through this journey, we're going to get to know each other very well, and, and we want to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is um, how we ended up here. We are from very different backgrounds, uh, from uh, the other side of the world, and we ended up here in different ways, um, winning versus losing the lottery, if you will. Um, so Adela, can you tell me a little bit more about how you ended up in New York doing what you are doing now? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> it's a great question. I'm really excited that we're doing this. Um, so my family is originally from Syria and from Lebanon, and they moved to Mexico, of all places, uh, where I was born. And I grew up in Mexico as a Syrian-Lebanese Jew, and um, Mexico wasn't really the safest place. And one thing led to another, and my family decided to move to the United States um, when we first moved, we just wanted to move for a couple of years. It was never really the plan to stay. And um, after our third, fourth year here, my mom realized this is the place to live. She was living the American dream. You know, in Mexico, your car gets stolen, even if you have it under lock and key. In the town I grew up in, in New Jersey, people leave their car on with the keys at 7-Eleven wow. to get their coffee so it doesn't get cold in the morning. So it was just very different, you know, kids riding their bikes alone on the street instead of not being allowed to go to the movies on their own. And it was just a very different life. And my mom loved it. And that's when we applied for the lottery, which is a visa lottery to be able to stay in the U.S. with a green card. And um, we've applied three times and we <laughs> still lost. So we're still on our path to citizenship. I've been here since 2001. It's been 20 years, um, hitting 21 years here. Wow. Um, but I know that there's no place I'd rather be. I know that this is um, where I want to build my future, the opportunities I've had here. Um, what about you? I understand your experience is slightly different. So it's really interesting because I didn't even know you can apply for the lottery while being in the U.S. because the way I ended up here is, um, so I'm from Egypt, I'm from Minya, which is uh, the Coptic Providence, some people call it. And um, my mom coming out of church once, the priest was telling her just apply for this thing and we didn't even know what it is and it's something about America and everything was super vague. Um, but she was pregnant and she, my mom's a little a little wild, um, for, for relatively wild. My mom's cool. Um, so she decided to throw her name in the hat and she went back to, to her family's house, to my dad's family's house where she lived and uh, forgot all about it and everybody was making fun of her. Uh, you're going to get to go to Egypt. You know, remember to send back good moisturizer. I, I have, I wrote a piece about that. And um, about a year later, she had given birth with the my youngest sister and she got this letter. This postman came looking for her in the village because there's no addresses in Egypt. You just kind of know where everybody lives. And uh, the letter was like, you won a lottery to go to, to, to go to America, to the U.S., and here's the steps you have to take. And fast forward three years, trips back and forth to Cairo. We end up in New York. We end up in Queens. And I was seven years old at the time. My parents never really told me things, or if they did, I don't really remember it. I just kind of remember one day we drove to the airport. My mom 
in very Arab fashion, had one too many suitcases, kind of like dumping them onto the railway, in tears telling my grandparents goodbye. I don't know when I want to see them again. And then um, in Queens on a cold November night, standing in this crooked sidewalk. And I'm here and we've been here ever since. Um, but back to you for a sec. So how did, how did you end up, how did your family end up in Mexico? Yeah, so um, in the pretty much any time after 1948, <laughs> the Middle East became a very turbulent place for Jews. So my family in the 70s left Lebanon with fake Iranian passports mm. through Canada to get to Mexico because there was actually a large Syrian Jewish community that was already forming. Um, so my mom happened to be born in Canada. Um, the rest of her siblings were all born in Mexico. That's where she met my dad, who had been in Mexico for two generations already. Um, and my brother and I were both born. We ended up in New Jersey because when we needed to move, um, we were looking at Miami, as most Mexican Jews do. <laughs> and then we got a bar mitzvah invitation in the mail from a cousin of mine who lived in Deal, New Jersey, this town that's a small enclave for Syrian Jews. It's our little haven where everyone knows each other and you have, you know, everyone's grandma knows each other and you go to the grocery store and you know everyone there. Um, and my mom, you know, went to this bar mitzvah and was like, this is it. This is the American dream. And if we're going to move anywhere for three years, it'll be here. But again, the plan was never to stay. So we were living in the U.S. under a different visa that my dad had. And um, my parents, after a couple of years, decided to get divorced. And my dad moved back to Mexico, taking his visa with him. Mm. So my mom found herself in a foreign country. Um, my two sisters were born in the U.S., so she had four kids. Um, she didn't have an education. She didn't have job experience. And she didn't have a visa to be able to stay in the country. So my mom decided to go back to college, um, number one, because it's the easiest visa to get. And that's the first time we applied for um, the lottery that we essentially lost. Yeah. Um, after my mom had her student visa, she got a work visa. My brother and I were under her visas because we were both non-citizens. My sisters were both American. And it was just a different chain of visa after visa after visa. And after getting rejected again for the lottery, my mom asked me if I wanted to be Canadian. And that's such a weird question. Like, hey, do you want to be Canadian? And I was like, well, what's the catch? <laughs> be, be Canadian. Being Canadian. That's the catch. Nothing against Canadians. I am now proudly Canadian. Though I've never lived in Canada. I don't plan on living in Canada. Uh, God save the queen if they still say that. Um, but because my mom happened to be born in Canada, I got Canadian citizenship through her. And then we applied again for the lottery as Canadians. And we again did not get it for some reason. Um, but at this point, you know, I'm building a career, I'm working hard. And the secret that they don't tell you is that nationality works in a very weird way. My mom happens to be Canadian because she was born there. All her siblings are Mexican. My grandpa is a citizen of Canada, been living in Mexico for 40 years, not a citizen of Mexico, wow. not a citizen of the U.S. But I know that this is where I want to build my roots and this is where I want to build mm. my life. Um, and at the same time, my sisters are U.S. born and they're anchor babies. So I should be American with the next three years or so. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. I, I can't imagine how that must feel to be living here and have this American identity and, and going through these motions of being an American, but officially on papers, not being American. Yeah. And, and here's where I want us to shift gears a little bit and talk about the sense of being derooted and having to build roots somewhere else that 
I don't know if I want to say doesn't accept you, but is maybe not aware of who you are. Or maybe sometimes I feel like I don't know who I am either. There's so many layers to our identities. And this is just, this is everybody. It's not just us. Think about who you are and scope out, go 30,000 feet above. And who you are is, is these layers of complex things. So can you tell me a little bit more about that journey and, and how you've managed to build roots or how you're doing that actively? Yeah, so I, I got very lucky in that the Syrian Jewish community is very close and very tight-knit and very similar everywhere. So, you know, I grew up in the Syrian Jewish community in Mexico. I had cousins in the Syrian Jewish community in Brazil. And then I moved to the Syrian Jewish community in New Jersey. So as worldly as I thought I was, I really only knew the same community in different mm -hmm. countries. But it was the same traditions, the same last names, the same first names, the same families. It was the same structure, the same expectations. So when I moved to the U.S., the hard thing was not having my family around me because, um, you know, being Syrian, Jewish, and Hispanic, family is everything. Um, <laughs> so that was the only, that was a really hard thing, especially for holidays. Um, but I was lucky that I got to have my family nearby and that Mexico is not that far. I was able to visit for summers, visit for holidays. And I know that Egypt isn't necessarily as close. So, you know... It, what's interesting is that in the U.S., no one is from here originally. Yeah. If you go back far enough a couple of generations, everyone came from somewhere. But we both came here. We did. as Not even first-generation American, but we're first-generation immigrants. So for you, it must have been a little bit harder. Do you feel like, how are you building your roots here? You know, Is it through community, through school? Is it through church? Yeah, I feel like for the longest time, and, and tell me if you relate to this, I actively worked to distance myself from my community. And, and maybe part of it is being a minority. Um, cops are not, this is, this is tough to even like work through because I wanna be kind to my own community and my own people, but um, historically we've been oppressed and, and persecuted. And I hated that about us, <laughs> to be very, very honest. It was so difficult seeing, I wanted to be a strong person. I was in, the, in a community and in a society now where I was allowed to be a girl and go to school. I was allowed to show my hair. I was allowed to do all these interesting things, but I'd go to church or I'd talk to my parents and we internalized that uh, victimhood and we internalized that persecution and you know, walk close to the wall, be careful what you say, have this specific job, go to med school, be a lawyer, be a doctor, be careful what you do. And I, I hated that. Um, so up until maybe two or three years ago, I've been so actively distancing who I am from myself. And honestly, that was tough because I, I thought I was doing something that made me happy, but I was, I was fighting myself constantly. And just in the past, to answer your question, just in the past two or three years, I think I've found a way to um, deal with those sides of my community and my religion and my faith that I don't necessarily love and, and turn them into something positive. Um, I'm going to church a lot more. And, and we, we, growing up, church Sunday, every, every weekend, we'd go to church at least once but I would never pay attention and I would actively reject it. Like I, I'm in some of our, in our Coptic weddings, we say um, like when we exchange vows, I guess, uh, there's a line about obeying the husband. I hated that. Anytime people would get married in the church, I would walk out. I would never go to confession because I thought I was rebelling against the church or whatever. Um, and just more recently, I think I'm learning to appreciate 
who I am and appreciate that culture. And and when I look at people who did what I used to do, I kind of get angry because, and I'm sure that's something you can relate with, is like, how dare you? Your ancestors survived 2,000 years of persecution and people actively trying to kill them and all odds were against you and you made it. Your survival is a miracle and you're actively trying to destroy it? How dare you? And again, I'm mad at myself when I'm saying this and it's something that I'm actively trying to change. Um, tell me a little bit about your derooting story and, and where you're at now. So the funny thing is I had a very, very similar experience to you. You know, I mm. grew up um, from the moment we moved to New Jersey, I went to a Syrian Jewish school where all my friends were Syrian Jews. And it was the only thing I knew. So growing up in my elementary, middle and high school, I always wanted to be edgy and different. And I already <laughs> knew I was going to be edgy and different. And, you know, I was the only girl in AP calculus and my friends weren't taking AP chemistry and um a lot of them really didn't plan to go to college. A lot of them were dating guys that were six, seven years older than them at the time. And they already knew what they were going to do after they graduated. And um, I knew I wanted to go to college. And that was like the different thing. And I, while I was in my community, it was so easy and liberating almost to push back mm. until I stepped onto a college campus. Yeah. Um, and once I got to college, my first two years, I spent distancing. I said, I'm not going to be the Jewish girl. I'm not going to be, you know, the one that's the Syrian one that's only friends with the other Syrian Jews that go to NYU. Then the chat, we have the Syrians at NYU chat. And I really wanted to be different. So I didn't dorm in the Jewish dorm. Um, I had a radio show. I didn't get involved in all the things that I should have or later got very involved in. And it wasn't until um, I wrote a paper that compared the Syrian Jewish community to Foucault's regime of truth because we control <laughs> the means of information and okay. all these things. And um, my professor was really happy about it. He's like, you should consider publishing. And we thought about this back and forth. And then I told my mom, and she was like, well, can I read it? And I was like, uh-uh. No. And I said, <laughs> how did I come to write a paper that I'm so ashamed of showing to everyone who's important to me? Mm. And that was kind of where I had my moment, where I opened my eyes and I said, something's wrong here. There's cognitive dissonance. I'm living two different lives. I'm believing two different things. And that's when I took a step back and became actually appreciative. And that's exactly how I feel now towards the people who are going through their clashing phase. It's important. It's important. But there's a difference between being a hater and being a revolutionary. And I think it's important to strive for change and making our communities better from within mm. instead of just looking at it from the outside and trying to tear it down. But, you know, I, I want to go back to the idea of roots and building community um, I already had my community set up when I showed up to the U.S. But recently I had a friend. She's originally from Kenya. She grew up in New Jersey, first gen like us. And she decided randomly, um, got a great job and decided to move to Texas. And she was there for her first couple of weeks and she was like, I'm having a lot of issues because I don't know how to make friends here. Yeah. You know, my, my roommate's not really up my speed. My coworkers are older. Like, how does one make friends? And how I thought about I it and I said, OK, what would I do if I was in that position? And um, I said, well, have you tried going to like, you know, I would go to the synagogue. I would just show up and like go to the synagogue. And yeah. if there's no young people, there's going to be an older person who has a younger nephew and I'm going to meet young Jews. And she was like, so you want me to walk into a church in Texas? <laughs> and I was like, I guess not. And that's kind of where I realized that, you know, my community was pre-made for me and I kind of have all these different diaspora pockets around the world. Mm. So what's the Coptic community like in that? When you showed up, you know, to Queens, um, you know, did you have family friends there? Did you know anyone else there? Um, who did you have your holiday dinners with? Did your parents know anyone? 
That's really interesting. Um, and I want to go back to a few things you said, but to answer your question first, um, when we moved to Queens, we moved to Ridgewood, Queens, which is a pretty Coptic neighborhood. There's a Coptic church right smack down the center. And, and when people, when new immigrants come in, they kind of move there first. The church has some sort of an infrastructure where they try to help the people that are just newly arrived. Um, and if you walk down the street, there's a few, you know, cops here and there that linger. Um, but what tends to happen is actually as you as you assimilate, you move out of the community, which I always found fascinating because if we're trying to build roots, don't you want to stay within that community? But it, it's something that fascinated me and I don't have an answer for it. But as we became more American or, or rather not even more American, as we became less Coptic or less Egyptian, um, we moved out of Ridgewood. And it's really funny now because I live 10 minutes away from that church and I'm going there now. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I didn't know it at the time, but it was hard. And I think a large part of the immigrant experience is you don't know it at the time, but it was a difficult experience. Like we didn't have, um, family around. It was just me, my two sisters, my mom and my dad. And, um, holidays were especially hard. We kind of, also nobody knew you were celebrating a holiday, like Coptic uh, the Coptic church follows a different calendar than the Western church. So we celebrate Easter and Christmas on different dates. Um, so I'd have to take off from school or maybe like go to school on Christmas and tell people, um, Hey, it's my Christmas. And they wouldn't believe me or, or something even simpler, the Coptic tattoo, which if you know, cop, you know, that we have these tattoos. Um, kids thought I was lying about it for the longest time. I remember this girl in fifth grade tried to take it off with hand sanitizer, oh like God. rub it off me. <laughs> um, and it wasn't any, she didn't mean it with bad intention. She just didn't believe that I was, you know, nine or 10 and had a tattoo. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's crazy. I actually didn't know about the Coptic tattoo. So I'm learning a lot right now. Yeah. And I can't wait to learn much, much more. So, yeah, you, having a tattoo at, you know, nine, ten years old, I'm guilty of drawing on myself with pen. So I can <laughs> understand where they're yeah. coming from. But I actually didn't know that about the Coptic tattoo. It's something I definitely want to hear more about. Remember, we're going to discuss this next time. Yeah. We're definitely going to talk about this next time. Um, but, you know, in college, walk into a party and the first thing you get is, hey, what's up? So where are you from? Oh man. <laughs> what what do you think about this question and what's usually your answer? It is I have a love-hate relationship with that question. The where are you really from question because people see me and I think we're both somewhat ambiguous looking. People don't know what racial category to place us in. And I hate that question because I don't know what to tell you. Like do you do you want to know where I live? Do you want to know where my ancestors are from? Do you want to know where I grew up? Like I'm from Queens, grew up in Egypt, also grew up in Queens. Now I live in Brooklyn. Like there's so many ways to answer that question. And I wish people like, what are you trying to know about me? I think is the, like, what do you want to know? Do you know where I live? Cause that's a little creepy, but do you want to know who I am as a human being? I can tell you that, but I don't think you want to know 2000 years of Coptic history at this party. You know what I mean? What, what's your response when you get that question? Yeah, it's, it's love hate. Usually, um, you know, if I if I want the easy way out, I just say New Jersey. And <laughs> In a New Jersey a day. I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then they just, you know, kind of take it. But um, if I say Mexico, I get the, mm. where are you really from? And then I say, well, my grandparents are from Syria and Lebanon. And then they go, but where are you really from? <laughs> and then I say, oh, you caught me. 
I'm just Jewish. <laughs> just another Jew who made her way around the world as Jews do because we're constantly exiled. Yep. So yes, we were in Spain and then they sent us to Syria and Lebanon and then they kicked us out and we went to Mexico and now I am here. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's a tough one. Again, and oh, and whenever I try to explain why I'm Canadian, that's always <laughs> another one. So then it's like I also realized it's easier for I to say I'm Canadian because mm -hmm. Even though, you know, I could be a lot of things, if I just say, oh, Canada, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Ah. But end of the day, had my family moved to Canada from Syria and Lebanon, I'd still be Syrian Lebanese, you know? Right. And that's why nationality has um, kind of like this weird clash where, to me, it means a lot and a little because I don't really feel a lot of national ties. I don't feel mm -hmm. a lot of nationalism um i feel a lot of respect for mexico because they took my family in when other people wouldn't um i feel a lot of respect for my syrian lebanese culture uh, mm -hmm. the foods we eat uh, my grandparents grew up speaking arabic i walk downstairs with a short shirt, skirt and i get i take that off you know <laughs> that is the culture i grew up with the arab culture and i feel a lot of respect for my jewish religion and mm -hmm. i feel a lot of respect for who i am as a jew and what it means to be a jew but if there was a world war tomorrow am i really fighting for any of those countries you know, am I really going to wow. give my life for Mexico? Am I giving my life for Syria when they didn't want us for mm -hmm. Lebanon? Am I giving my life for Canada that I really just have a piece of paper? Right. And that's always been my conflict, my clash, where I love this country and I want to be part of it. But at the same time, we apply and apply and apply and we keep losing the lottery. So I have this weird clash where it's like I'm so proud of all these different parts of who I am. But what national ties do I actually have? Right. And I don't know how you feel, you know, with Egypt, you know, if there was a world war tomorrow, who are you fighting for? Whew. Wow, you're really digging in. <laughs> Damn, digging in. girl. <laughs> um, I have a confusing relationship with Egypt because, like you said, I love it, but it doesn't love me. And what am I supposed to do with that? Do I, do I continue this unrequited love story with Hmm. With a, if if it's really hard, honestly, to to pick through the different thorns of of this relationship. Um, but I love America. The, this country took me in, as it does to so many people, and and gave me everything I have. And I feel like that unrequited love from Egypt. I want to one day be loved by Egypt. Right now, I am not. Um, and that's really tough, honestly. I think exactly that tension is what I've been feeling Yeah, all the time. And I think that that's also one of the issues I see with identity today, hmm. where everything is about checking all these boxes. But every single one of the boxes that we check is so much more complicated, and it's so yeah. much more nuanced. And, you know, when I check off, you know, Hispanic on my forms, I feel like, am I betraying who I am? Yeah. If I don't check it off, am I betraying who I am? <laughs> Do I, am I allowed to identify as what I actually am? Because I might not be the full idea of what other people think it is. Yeah. And um, I think that that's, you know, when we first met, the biggest commonality I saw, I saw someone like me. I saw someone who, you know, is in this country, who's building a life, being a modern woman in a modern city, who loves her culture, loves her religion, and is dealing with all of these tensions. 
And that's exactly why I'm so excited that we're doing the show. And I can't wait for more people to, you know, hear our stories. I can't wait to learn more about you. Yeah. Um, Adela, that's so sweet. Yeah, of course. Ah. I think that you hit the nail on the head. That little box where you're supposed to check off who you are in a single box. I wonder if other people, do you feel the same way? I wonder if other people are feeling this frustration of, like, how do I tell you who I am in a box? And... Is that coherent? Do we there, also there was never an Arab American um, like slot to pick, mm-hmm. but I, I the first time I saw it was just a few months ago and it made me really happy. But another layer of is it I'm not Arab, I'm Coptic. <laughs> Do we want a Coptic? There's so many things to untangle and there's so many things that I have to go through, and like I'm I'm so grateful for you and and honestly I like you, you again hit the nail on the head. It's really nice to talk to somebody that feels the same frustrations and same anxieties about their identity and where they do where they belong in the world but also have completely different backgrounds like I don't think we've shared one experience but we have the same emotions that are rooted in those experiences and I'm sure there's uh, a Hispanic person that feels the same way a black person that feels the same way there's at the end of the day we're all experiencing the same things through different world experiences yeah and i think that that's a phenomenon that's happening a lot now i think also COVID gave a lot of people introspection Mm. and um a lot of people had the time to sit down and say okay where is my life going from here what have i been doing up until this point before we were just kind of floating through life and then we had a hard pause and the hard pause was a time to reflect and you know when it comes to all these identities to commonalities to checking boxes i think that shows like this one are exactly what people need to hear um, and I'm really excited to be a part of that. Yeah. Can we, we talked about this. Can we end the, the episode off with, uh, our favorite Arab sayings every, every week or whenever we post these, we're going to end off with an Arab or a Spanish saying that our cultures do or say, and Adela wanted to kick us off with our first one. Um, the first one I used earlier today is Ibe. So yeah. I said that if I go downstairs wearing a skirt that's too short, my grandpa would say Ibe. Which is a very <laughs> Arab concept. It's a very Middle Eastern concept, yeah. which is almost like the shame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's shame. We say Ayib, obviously, but it's interesting that you guys like, there, there's different ways to pronounce it, and your grandpa says it. So, Ayib, if you do anything, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you are a walking Ayib. Yeah. Everything you do is Ayib. Um, but you could also use it for a lighter context. So like, for example, let's say like you wanted to go to a wedding, you're super late to the ceremony and you can mm. say like, should we go? And they'd be like, I like, you can't go now. Yeah. Oh, I have to show up <laughs> right now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been used around a lot in the Syrian Jewish community. Um, and by far it's my favorite one. Cause I think it's yeah. the one I grew up hearing the most. I'm really excited to learn some Spanish ones. <laughs> can't wait to throw them out there. And there's so many Egyptian ones that I You'll, you'll have a hoot and a half oh, of the Egyptian ones. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, all right. Do you want to end us off? Uh, yeah. I think that this is a really great start to something. And we are very happy to see you next week on Americanish. We are the Daughters of Diaspora.